0: We we trust God will do something, because it it really is an important message for us as a people. You know, um, many years ago, uh, I had an operation on my back, and uh, when I was speaking to the neurosurgeon before the operation, you know, what's this going to entail? What what happens afterwards? He said, no, you've got a recovery period afterwards, and how well you, you recover will determine how well you behave. Uh, after the operation and how much you do your, your physio. And he said, basically what happens is for six weeks after the operation, you can lie down and you can stand up, but you cannot sit. Okay? He said, you can't bend at all. He said, you can't even be at the kitchen doing things at the kitchen counter because, you know, you're slightly bent and that would be bad. So I told my wife that was a permanent... <laughs> so I I was in in such pain I needed the operation that wasn't uh, it wasn't an option I had to have have the operation but then I thought oh what that means if I can't sit for six weeks that's a big problem because there's no way I'm missing church for six weeks and there's no way I'm missing community. So the first thing I did, I, I, we, we were kind of leaders in the church, so I had contacts. So uh, I arranged that community would be at our house, and I moved my bed into the lounge. So that was awesome. I could I could do community without getting out of bed. It was awesome. <laughs> but then Sunday, it was like, what do I do? And again, having contacts. Fortunately, I was living moderately close. We were about two kilometres from. Uh, from the church, and uh, one, of, one of my exercises was, was to walk. So I couldn't put my shoes on, I couldn't bend over, so I put my slippers on like an old man, and I would w- walk to church. And it would take forever because I was literally walking like an old man because I was in such pain. And I would arrive at church and I arranged for a bed to be put in the main hall of the church. So I would arrive, lie down, join in worship listen to the preach, connect with a few people and leave home and leave for home and walk home and do the the shuffle repeating. And of course, as the weeks went by and I got stronger, the shuffle was a little stronger and, and the walk was a little better. But that's what I decided to do because there was no way I was prepared to miss out on the gathering of the saints for six weeks. Now, If I was to say to any of you, you know, you came to me and said, Mike, I'm having a backup. I'm not. And I said, well, you better make sure you put a bed in the building and you make. That would be abusive, right? Because I can't compel you to do those things. That's only a good
1: inspirational story if that came from me. And that's the nature of devotion,
0: Devotion causes you to go above and beyond in a way that compulsion never could. You understand? My devotion to meeting together was so great. It was like, I'm going to make a plan. I don't care. And I had a legitimate excuse. I had every reason not to. And if my devotion wasn't there, nobody would have thought less of me. So I wasn't doing it to impress anybody or out of fear. I did it because I was, I was so devoted. Now, I'll confess, because that's kind of quite an inspirational story for someone. They go, Mike, you are so spiritual. On the converse side, there's been times where I've woken up on a cold winter morning under my duvet and i going, I don't want to get out of bed. <laughs> and our devotion can wane. Yeah, And it's important that we stare up devotion. I love the book of Hebrews. It's written to to people who are facing opposition, facing difficulties, and and trying to justify why they can have a less committed um, relationship with God, why they can maybe slide back into Judaism and and justify it by saying, well, we're still worshiping God, but it's a bit less expensive. And and the writer of Hebrews, is writing all of these encouragements and saying, come on. And he says, encourage each other as long as it's called today and even more as the, as the day of christ approaches let's stir one another up to love and good deeds and let us not forsake gathering together as some have done in other words the writer of hebrews is he understands the reality that no matter what our devotion is at the beginning when we face opposition difficulty when we've been doing it for a while our devotion can wane and i'm hoping that tonight this is not a rebuke. This is an encouragement. I'm hoping to stir up again that passion, that devotion, that commitment, that thing that nobody else can compel you to do. In, in Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves. Devotion has to come from within. It cannot be enforced from without. And in particular, tonight we're going to talk about being devoted to fellowship.
1: Because they were devoted first to the apostles' teaching and then to the fellowship. And
0: sometimes in the culture in which we live, certainly in a Western culture of individuality and individualism and my rights and my truth. You're so brave speaking your truth. No, there's no such thing as your truth. There's the truth. You can maybe put a pronoun in there and say his truth. (laughs) <laughs> but your truth is not truth unless it aligns with his truth but we saw indiv- and, and on, on social media you see people talking about I'm a gospel individual I don't need church it's just me and Jesus Or uh, what a lot of garbage
1: really I'll be the first to admit sometimes Christians are hard to love Some of you are hard to even like.
0: (laughs) Just being honest. Some people are annoying. Some people are miserable. Some people are like spiritual vampires. You know what I mean? You spend time with them and you, you walk away just feeling like drained of any kind of energy or spirituality. It's not always easy to be devoted to
1: people. Sometimes it's really difficult, inconvenient, costly, hurtful.
0: Hands up, everybody here who hasn't been hurt by somebody in the church. There we go. I was talking to somebody this week and he was saying, these people have, have, have really said some very horrible things to me that have really upset me or whatever. And he, I said, you know, one thing you've got to remember, the hearts are in the right place, even if the brains aren't. (laughs) (laughs) And sometimes we can hurt people because we're stupid, not because we want to be hurtful. Sometimes we're clumsy. And sometimes we hurt each other because we're doing what we need to do. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, proverb tells us. Do I love you enough to hurt you at times? Not with the purpose of hurting you, but with the purpose of helping you. Some years ago, I fell and I landed um, hands down near some roadworks and loads of tar and gunk and all kinds of stuff went in my hand. And I didn't get it seen to immediately because I was going on a rugby tour and rugby and beer was more important at that particular point in time than... So I went on the rugby tour and three days later I had a bandage on this and I, I came off the pitch after a, a game and realised when you've got green stuff seeping through your bandage, it's usually not a good sign. So I, I, went to a, I went to the hospital. It was actually a tour to the Isle of Man. I was on the Isle of Man. And uh, they, they kind of put mercurochrome on it and bandaged, bandaged it up and stuff. And they said, when you get back home, go to the hospital and get it looked at. So the next time. I was home. I went to the hospital and I went to the uh, accident and emergency and I showed them my hand. I said, listen, I've been told I need to get this looked at. And the nurse looked at it and she said, why didn't you get that cleaned? I said, no, 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 I did. Uh, I got it cleaned on the Isle of Man. And then they said, come here. He said, no, no, they've not cleaned it properly. We have to do it properly. Wait here. She comes back with a trolley. It was like a scene from a, from a movie where the torturer is coming in. <laughs> On this trolley was a ball of hydrogen peroxide, a toothbrush, <laughs> scalpel, tweezers. And so she dips the toothbrush in the hydrogen peroxide and she said, give me your hand. This nurse must have been this tall. I gave her my hand, and she started to scrub. And then when she got to a bit she couldn't scrub, she'd use a tweezers and a scalpel to cut bits out. And she did it until it was bleeding profusely, because only then did she know that all the gunk was out. Why do I tell you this wonderful edifying story? <laughs> she didn't have the strength to hold onto my hand. I had to willingly hold it out, while she inflicted pain on me. Because I knew her aim wasn't to inflict pain. Uh, Her aim was to cleanse that wound to save my arm. And sometimes, the most loving thing we can do to each other is hurt each other. Not with an intent to hurt, but with an intent to long-term bring healing. But we're not robust anymore. We live in the, dare I say it with my grey beard, snowflake generation... It's not your generation. Every generation's been a snowflake generation to some degree. Get so easily offended. Now it's a sport to look for ways
1: to get offended. Isn't it? Flip. Now it's
0: like, today we're going to study at Romeo and Juliet, but let me warn you beforehand, you could be offended by uh, themes of suicide, death, murder, love. De- it's like, come on, it's Romeo and Juliet. We've got to be a little bit robust, and we've got to be robust with each other. And unfortunately, that kind of mentality uh, uh, is in the church, and people leave. You've got serial church hoppers.
1: Oh, I've just been offended. I'm going to leave. And even if it's serious offense, I was saying earlier, my
0: younger daughter, who sat right at the back, offended me yesterday. She was talking. We were having a meal together. And she said, you know,
1: some of my friends think you're cool. And she wasn't saying it as a
0: compliment. She was disgusted. I said, I am cool. No, you're not. So, of course, I have every right to be offended and go, I am so offended. I'm out of here. I'm going to find another family to join.
1: If you're family, you don't have that option. Guess what? Your family. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be challenging.
0: But remember, we talked about devotion, and the meaning of devotion is to continue despite opposition or resistance, to persevere under pressure, to continue despite difficulties. And and to be devoted to fellowship means I'm devoted. I'm going to persevere in loving you, no matter how hard it is.
1: And believe me, it's really hard loving some of you. Old poem, what I did earlier, goes something like this: "To live above,
0: with sense we love." Oh no, that is glory but to live below with sense we know. Now, that's a different story. You know, the, the theory of, you know, love, joy, and peace, and harmony, and, and jelly beans, and all of that, you know, in the church, we all love Jesus. We all love each other. It's going to be wonderful. The reality is it's difficult. Because nobody here is perfect. I'm having a t-shirt printed. I'm nobody. Because nobody's perfect. And guess what? It's hard for you to love people, not because they're imperfect. It's hard for you to love people because you're imperfect. We have our own problems. Some of the loneliest people, some of the people who leave the church saying, I wasn't loved, I wasn't looked after, are the people who've been looked after and loved more than anybody else, but they've been incapable of
1: receiving it. Sometimes we're lonely because we don't give ourselves of ourselves.
0: Sometimes we're lonely because we are the people who are so desperate for love, we just suck every bit of thing out of everybody, leaving them dry, and find somebody else. And then we wonder why nobody wants to hang out with us.
1: The best way to feel loved, guess what? Is to love. It really is. bit of a sidetrack there, but
0: you understand, um, devotion to fellowship, I'm not saying it's easy, but I am saying it's necessary. And I am saying that it's a requirement of us. It's not an optional extra. When we came to Christ and we entered into a relationship with him, we entered into a covenant relationship. And a covenant means that from now on, what I have is yours and what you have is mine. And that's what Jesus says to us. He says, that divine exchange, I'll take what you have. What do you have? And you go, I've got my guilt. I've got my shame. I've got my fear. I've got my anxieties. Okay, Okay, I'll take that. And in return, I'll give you my peace, my love, my righteousness, my joy. It's awesome, right? What a deal. Great deal. And then he says, I'll give you my family as well.
1: Which sounds awesome. God puts the lonely into family. But guess what? You can't choose your family. God chose
0: your family. And he put you here and you look around and you go, really? Can I have a different family? No, you can have this one. (laughs) You know, there's an old song, "If, if, if you can't be with the one you love, love the one you're with. I'm not, I'm not sure if I agree with that sentiment, but the last bit is true. Love the ones you're with. <laughs> love the ones that God has put you amongst. Because if you love him, you have to love his people. John repeatedly says, if you don't love your brother, you can't say you love God. Because if you can't love your brother who you can see, how can you claim to love God who you can't? How can you say you love Jesus if you don't love what Jesus loves? And Jesus laid down his life for the church. He loves his church. He loves his people. He loves this family. And so I am commanded. I don't have an option. I have to love you. And sometimes
1: it doesn't come naturally. Especially because I'm an introvert. When the government
0: announced lockdowns, it's like, yes, best thing ever. Anybody else? A couple of you. Yeah, most introverts won't raise their hands. <laughs> 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 but here's the thing. That even though I'm introvert, even though after spending time with people, I go away to recharge, it doesn't mean I don't need people. And if I say I'm an introvert, I don't love people, that's not introversion. That's being antisocial. So I have a tendency to be introvert, but I know at least in part that comes from my own brokenness and background and my own coping mechanisms. And so, God hasn't called me to, you know, I'm just being myself. How many of you have heard that? I'm just being myself. Where in Scripture does it tell you to be yourself? (laughs) It says, die to self. It says, be like Christ. And so, I can take my own preferences and my, what's easiest for me are my own coping mechanisms, and I surrender them to Christ and say, "Now, Jesus, help me be more like you. I'm not sure Jesus was an introvert. He did know how to find time alone and recharge. You extroverts, no. <laughs> but I want to represent him well within the character and the personality and, and who he's made me to be. And you know what that means is, I've got to help you become more like Jesus. Where my my natural default is, I want to make you more like me. Because if you're more like me, you're easier for me to love. But as a leader, my job isn't to make you more like me. It's to make you more like him. And therein lies the challenge that we each are own unique individuals. and, And it's only together that we properly reflect who he is. And that's why in this word fellowship, it isn't just friendship. It's not, talking, it's not devoted to being a club. It's not being devoted to friendship. It's easy to have superficial friendships. This is something deeper. The word is koinonia in Greek. Fellowship, it speaks actually of partnering, co-laboring, being on mission together it speaks of a deep commitment to one another and a deep relationship so john again he says if we walk in the light as he walked in the light then we have fellowship we we have that connection when we live in the light have you ever had a relationship with somebody and you know them quite well but you never feel like you're actually meeting the real them yeah it's because they're not truly what there's something hidden right and when they don't walk in the light when there's something hidden in the heart that Even if you don't know what it is, it puts a barrier in your relationship, doesn't it? You feel like you can't truly connect. And this is a true connection. And it doesn't come by simply having a bride together and talking about the, you know, Western Province rugby team or, or the Springboks or whatever it may be. It goes deeper than that. And the challenge is because the Lord is calling us to a deeper relationship, that deeper relationship is harder It's easy to talk about the weather with a total stranger, right? Because you're not risking anything. You're not revealing anything. You're not putting yourself out there. But in order for us to have the kind of relationships and to partner together in the gospel and have fellowship, we have to put ourselves out there.
1: I have to risk exposing the real me to you. And the risk is you're not going to like him. The risk is you're going to reject him. Because the version of Mike that I've developed is one that is designed to be liked by as many people as possible. But you don't want that version. You want the real version.
0: And so we're called to something that's a lot more difficult to grab hold of and a lot more difficult to maintain. There's a lot more obstacles to it. But that's why we need to be devoted. And this word koinonia, Paul uses in three different ways. He speaks of us as individuals having koinonia with God, we have fellowship with God.
1: We are co laborers with Christ. What a privilege that is. That he has a mission for us, that
0: through the church he would make his manifold wisdom known to principalities and powers. And he's choosing us. How ironic is that? Look around you. He wants to use this
1: rabble to display his manifold wisdom. At first glance, it doesn't seem a wise
0: choice. <laughs> but ultimately, when ordinary men and women like you and I partner with God, people see God because things happen that couldn't possibly be us. And So that's the first Koinonia is my my fellowship, my connection, my dependence upon, and my co-laboring with Christ. Then he uses the word for my relationship and our relationship with each other. That we have an intimate relationship, a commitment to. we, We work out the covenant with Christ with each other. And we're partners together in the gospel. We're partners together, not one priest up front trying to minister, but we're partners, each contributing something of the nature of Christ to each other. Not just on a Sunday, but in our homes and over meals. They met daily in the temple courts and each other's homes. There was that koinonia, there was that commitment to one another. And then the third way that Paul uses it is when churches partnered together. And the churches had fellowship with each other and co-labored, and contributed. And the way we co-labor, the way we work together is to contribute who we are
1: and what we have, our time, our talents, and our treasures. My time is yours. My
0: talents, my gifts are yours. And my treasures, my finances are yours. What's in my fridge is yours. And your students are, yeah, because in my, my fridge is yours, but I've only got this little fridge,
1: so it's a good deal for me. <laughs> it's not just friendship, do you see? It's partnering. We've got a
0: mission. And actually, as much as we can develop strong feelings for one another, and we probably should, if, if love means anything, there's a sense in which we don't have to feel close to work together. In fact, working together often makes us feel close. The picture I use is Band of Brothers. Who's seen that series? A bunch of guys who didn't know each other, thrown together, trained, and sent to war. And it was going through
1: war together, going through the, the pain and the suffering and the hell of war. It bound... Sorry, I accidentally answered my phone. Mm. They became brothers through the mission. They didn't go on a mission because they were
0: brothers. And there's a sense that we we are brothers. And sometimes you may not feel like it. But one of the ways you can feel more like brothers and sisters is to minister together. Is, is to join together, It's to actually be on the mission, It's actually give of yourselves, to suffer together. That bonds us. You know, one of the things I've found really connects me to other people very quickly, I can be praying for somebody with a complete stranger, and when we start prophesying, it's amazing. There's something like, it's like, I really feel connected to a person, even though we don't know each other, but we're, we're We're ministering in the spirit. The spirit supernaturally quickens that relationship. And so, as a people, you need to be devoted to one another. You need to give of yourself, give your heart, give your time, give your gifts, and give of your possessions to serve each other, and give of yourself unreservedly as you would Christ. And it's interesting When we look at how Paul co labored with people, how he connected with some of the people. And I've got some scriptures here, but you can throw them up, but I'll just refer them to him quickly. To the Corinthian church, he says this You gave yourself first to the Lord and then to us. And that's a great picture that we should, first of all, commit ourselves to the Lord, but then it should be that the instant consequence of that is, I give myself to you just as I would the Lord and he emphasized that that's given an even stronger emphasis to the Galatian church he says this even though my sickness was a trial to you when I was amongst you and, and Paul was supposed to be there to minister and be a blessing and he ends up so sick it seems like he had an eye problem probably weeping and you know kind of oozing eyes and We're really getting into some really disgusting medical things tonight, aren't we? But his eyes were probably oozing, maybe a bit stinky. His eyesight wasn't very great. And he says, even though my sickness was a trial to you, even though it was hard work for you to receive me, you received me as if I was an angel or the Lord himself. And that if it were possible, you would have plucked out your
1: own eyes and given them to me. Now, that is commitment. That is koinonia.
0: That I would be willing to rip out my own eyeball and give it to you if I thought it would do any good. Unfortunately, by the time I've ripped it out, it's no use to you. But but he's, 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 he's giving like nothing. Basically, nothing would be too much trouble. And we go, yeah, we're devoted to fellowship. Uh, Can you give me a lift? Well, you know, it's like three kilometers out my way. And
1: petrol's quite expensive these days. So, you know, it's... How committed are we? And I'm not saying it's always possible. But our heart should be, oh, if it were possible. Oh, if it were possible.
0: Mike, can you lend me a million rand? Oh, that it would be possible. (laughs) I have a friend in Uganda. He phones me all the time. And he's been through a hell of a year. His family got sick, he got sick. Then they had COVID, ended up in hospital. His father died. All kinds of stuff. And he's in deep financial trouble. And he phones me. I said, my friend. All I can do is pray for you. He 412, said so 412 is helping churches around the world. We, we, money's going out faster than it's coming in. And so we've got a general principle. We don't give to individuals for individual needs. We, we try and prioritize churches for church needs. And I'm like, oh, my friend, that I were a millionaire and I could just solve your financial problems with the press of a button. I'll pray for you. I'll stand with you. I'll empathize with you. I'll encourage you. But I won't look for excuses. But what you're
1: asking is, so sometimes it's impossible, but is the heart there? And here's the challenge. We're called to be
0: like that, not just with people we're close to. Not just with people like us. Not just with people we like. Qualification of an elder. In 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus. And qualifications of an elder, it doesn't mean elders have to be like this but nobody else. It's saying elders need to have these characteristics because that's the example to set to all believers. So ultimately the qualifications of an elder are the qualifications that every believer should aspire to. And one of them is hospitality. An elder must be hospitable. What does that mean? Well, I have my mates around for a briar every Friday night. That's a small part of hospitality. That's not what hospitality is. If you look at the Greek word here, it's made up of two Greek words. Philos. Anybody know what philos means? Philos means love. There's different Greek words for love. Philos means brotherly love. And xenos the Greek word for foreigner or stranger. So we often hear in South Africa about xenophobia. Hospitality, the Greek word, is the exact opposite of xenophobia. Instead of a fear or hatred of foreigners, it is a love of strangers and foreigners. It is treating strangers like brothers. That's what we should aspire to. Why? Because that reflects Christ. Because Christ looked at us while, not just when we were strangers, but while we were his enemies. While we were worthless. While we were objects of wrath deserving of hell. He looked at us and said, I will give what it takes
1: for you to have the right to call yourself my brother. And his devotion cost him everything. His devotion to us cost cost him the cross. His devotion to us cost him separation and being forsaken by the Father. Then he says, love as I've loved you. Will you treat strangers like brothers? Will you treat foreigners
0: like brothers? By strangers, I mean people you don't
1: know and people who are strange. (laughs) That's what we're talking about when we talk fellowship. Devotion to fellowship is taking
0: people into our lives, into our hearts, and into our homes. And, you know, it's possible to take people into your home without bringing them into your heart. But it's opening ourselves up and treating these people like brothers, like family.
1: Some of you have got strained relationships with your brothers. I'm talking good brotherly relationships, okay? So
0: what does that look like? Because surely, you know, we we can talk about the theory in the heart and we can say, yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And we're very good in church. uh, We talk a good game often, right? We know the theology. But this isn't a matter of theology. This is a matter of practice.
1: It's not what we can say, it's about what we do.
0: I got in trouble this morning for saying something, I'll say it again, I may as well get
1: in trouble twice. But the Apostle John wrote that French kissing is a sin.
0: He wrote, dear brothers, let us love not with tongue, but with words. (laughs) Shocking. Shocking. I'm never coming back to this church again. What are you saying? Let us not love with words, but with action. Let's not just say, I love you. Let's prove I love you. Let's not just have a theology. Let's have a practice. So, let's talk for just a couple of minutes on a practical example of how we can live out devotion to fellowship. I remember what I said about the the story of me going to church after my backup. I cannot compel you because that's not devotion. That's a set of rules. And Acts 2 to 42 to 47 is not a checklist. Are you doing this? Yes. Are you doing this? Yes. I'm making sure you, because then we may as well be under the law. Acts 2 to 47, 42 to 47, is the the description of a people who are devoted to Jesus. And when you're devoted to Jesus, this is what it looks like. And So if we're devoted to Jesus, then we say, Lord, help me to be devoted to people. Help me be devoted to fellowship. Help me to love the unlivable. Help me to to love those on the fringes. Help me to not on a Sunday come and hang out talking to all my friends, but let me look for those that are visitors. Let me look for those that have nobody to talk to. When I was at Bible College many years ago, there was a, a young girl who was always on the outskirts. And for some reason, I noticed that whenever a group of guys was talking, she would just
1: Beyond the outskirts on her own. And so I would occasionally just say, come join us, come sit in. That's all I did.
0: I wouldn't say we were friends even. It was just, if I noticed she was on her own, I would, I would go out of my way to, to include her in the group. And then one day she asked if she could speak to me and she poured out a heart to me of how she'd been abused as a child she was really wrestling with relationships. And I was just there to listen. There wasn't a lot I could do. Three days later, she knocked on my dorm, dorm room door. She said, can we talk? As we, as we were walking across the campus, um, I noticed that a, a she was wearing a black jersey, and it felt wet. And then when I looked at my fingers, it wasn't water, it was blood. And she'd just taken a blade and opened up her arm to try and kill herself. And in that moment where she thought she was actually in the process of killing herself, she thought there's one person who might listen.
1: That girl survived because somebody said, why don't you just come join us? It's all. How significant it can be just to notice. Somebody who's on their own, to notice a visitor. oh, we can be obsessed or so focused on our friends because it's easier and it feels good. So whether
0: it be a Wednesday or a Sunday or a Saturday or you're walking down the street, are you asking the Lord to view people through his eyes? It's what I find hard because I'm not by nature the most compassionate person on the planet.
1: Lord, I need your heart, I need your compassion, I need your devotion to people.
0: And something's coming up soon, which is going to be a wonderful opportunity
1: for for us to treat strangers like brothers. The 412 Conference, and we need hosting.
0: People are coming from all over the world, and they're coming from all over the world, many of them, because they've heard of this thing called Josh Jen. And some of them have heard of Stellenbosch
1: because this congregation's got a reputation. It has, a good reputation. That
0: there's life and growth and faith and salvations. It's wonderful. And
1: people want to go, I want to go. I want to go and experience this and see for myself. And they've got the theology. They've heard the preachers. But they're coming. And right now, you may think they're strangers, but they're actually family. Some years ago, the church on the Isle of Man, Living Hope, the leaders visited
0: Cape Town. They'd heard about 412. And they just visited Josh Jen, visited a 412 conference. And they said, this is what we've been looking for. This is what we're hungry for. We're desperate. We want our church to look like this. But then they said, how? Because we preached to our people and they hear the words. They don't understand what we're saying. And we can't bring them all to Cape Town. What do we do? And we said, well, what we'll do? We'll take Cape Town to the Isle of Man. We had a conference on the Isle of Man and we took 70 people. 70 people paid for themselves to go. My favorite story was Auntie
1: Peggy, who was, I think, 89 at the time, stage diving. Some of the young people were stage
0: diving. She said, I'll have me some of that. (laughs) Seriously, got up on stage, jumped off on stage. We were all petrified, doing our best gentle landing. But even that one action, so many people said, wait a minute, what's our excuse for not worshiping passionately? And for a week, we spent on the Isle of Man, being hosted. And afterwards, that church, in a week, changed around. It was unrecognizable. Seriously. And I preached at that conference, and I asked a whole bunch of people afterwards, what's your highlight of the preach?
1: What's your highlight of the conference? And nobody said my preach.
0: (laughs) I was devastated. Until I found out nobody said Andrew's preach either. (laughs) Have a guess what 99% of people said. Not even Auntie Peggy. Look, that was a, one highlight. This is what they said. It was the people that came, seeing how they love Jesus, seeing how they minister to each other, seeing how they love us that they've never met, seeing how they are with the kids living in our house. It was as they lived together and did life together that God did a miracle. And you opening your hearts and opening your lives to people can have a more profound effect than the greatest preach, seriously. We're called to reach the nations and I sincerely hope you're all uh, putting out your faith to join us in the nations, getting your passports ready, coming with us to Brazil or to Russia or to uh, Indonesia or Australia, wherever it may be, but definitely Brazil, ABIA.
1: (laughs) but until that day you can reach
0: the nations from here because God is bringing the nations to us
1: and you can say but Mike I can't host, I'm a student I'm sending in student digs okay
0: maybe you can't host maybe you can, maybe you have a bed and you can sleep on the floor I hosted a Brazilian couple for two weeks. I put them in our bed. My wife and I slept on a couch for two weeks.
1: Because I asked myself, if this was Jesus coming to visit, what would I give him? Would I ask Jesus to sleep on the couch? Would I make up a mattress? There you are, Jesus. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and here's the thing, Jesus would never demand my bed he would quite happily take the air mattress. I said, no, Lord, I'm not worthy. It's such a privilege to have you in my home. And I need to receive people like I received Jesus. And we don't need big houses. Leonard's been with me to Brazil. People who live in like 36 square meter flat, hosting four people. And you're packed like sardines, but I tell you, you have a whale of a time. And then you're devoted to fellowship. <laughs> But maybe it is impossible. You could go. Well, you know, I've got a bed, but I'm not going to the conference. So, what a wonderful way to be part of a conference without being there. You can come home from study or work, have supper with somebody, and say, "What happened today?" <laughs> Get a first-hand report. Or maybe you can't. You genuinely can't offer a bed. That's okay. Maybe somebody has got a bed but no money to provide food. Maybe you can provide food and not a bed. Maybe you can provide transport
1: or the loan of a car or put somebody on the back of your bike. (laughs) (laughs) You see, it's not how much you can give.
0: When Jesus saw the widow giving her her two mites, he praised her over the Pharisee that was giving great riches. And you giving, one, you giving somebody a chocolate bar could be more meaningful than a rich person giving up six bedrooms. Seriously. So maybe you can provide a meal or food or a message of encouragement. Maybe you can pray for people. Maybe you could pick somebody up from the airport. Maybe, just maybe you can keep your eyes open over that period for visitors. Maybe you can go to the conference and say to your friends, listen, we've got eternity to hang out. Together. Right now, I'm just going to go and meet some new people. Because I'm devoted to fellowship. I'm devoted to hospitality. I'm devoted to treating strangers like brothers. And guess what? When you do that, you get brothers and sisters.
1: And I've got family all over the world. Seriously. What a privilege it is. Yes, and it can be difficult and inconvenient and expensive. But man, the rewards are out of this world, literally. Wait for some of you to catch up. So we can have two approaches. I can either say, I don't have a bed to give.
0: Or you can say, what do I have that I can give? I may not be able to to host somebody like that. <laughs> or you can say, how can I play my part in treating foreigners like, like brothers? I've been in outreaches, and stay, especially in Africa, and stayed in places where in absolute abject poverty, people have given. And it's been an incredible blessing. And some of us in the West go, my house isn't nice enough. Not how nice your house is, it's how big your heart is. And so I want to encourage you, I'm just using that as an example. If we, if we all make a big effort for the 412 conference and then it disappears, we've failed. This preach isn't about, this is not a, a recruitment drive for hosting for the conference, although there is an opportunity to register for hosting for the conference.
1: This is about, as a people, do we represent Christ well? And as much as I would offer
0: that to some person coming from Brazil or Australia or Indonesia,
1: would I give it to my friend in Stellenbosch as well? Would I receive a new believer the same that I would receive Andrew Selly? Are we a people devoted to fellowship? Are we a people
0: who will persevere, endure, and give ourselves? No matter the risk, no matter the hurt, no matter the obstacles, no matter the the resistance. Even the people who don't want to be loved. And you know there are actually people who don't want to be loved? They do, but they don't. You know what I'm
1: saying. Will you press in to the people who give nothing back? Will you love the unlovable? Will you love till it hurts? Will you be devoted to fellowship? Let's stir that up. Because it's a value, not of Josh Jan, not of 412. But it's a
0: value of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And we want to represent him well. And by this shall all men know that you are
1: my disciples. That you have love one for another. Amen.